Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Marley Smith. And today we have the distinct honor of hosting a remarkable individual whose expertise and passion has redefined the landscape of pediatric healthcare and allergy research. Joining us today is Professor Claudia Gray, where we will be discussing our body's largest organ, the skin, and how to safeguard your first line of defense with a sterling reputation as a highly trained pediatrician. With specialized knowledge in pediatric allergy and pharmacology, Professor Gray has carved an incredible path across both the United Kingdom and Cape Town, South Africa, and a driving force behind the renowned Kids Allergy Center. Professor Gray's influence extends beyond the clinic walls, reaching the esteemed corridors of the Red Cross Children's Hospital, where she serves as a pediatric allergy specialist. Her academic expertise is equally remarkable, holding the distinguished position of Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Cape Town, but it doesn't end there. Professor Gray's commitment to advancing the field is evidenced by her role on the Executive Committee of the Allergy Society of South Africa and her foundational contribution as director of the Allergy Foundation of South Africa. Her international recognition as a fellow of the American Academy of Allergy and Clinical Immunology and a member of the European Academy of the Allergy and Clinical Immunology speaks volumes about her impact. A passionate advocate for knowledge dissemination, Professor Gray is a familiar face at both local and international conferences, as well as a respected contributor to the esteemed pediatric and allergy journals. Yet for all her accomplishments, her heart remains firmly rooted in patient care. Her practical, compassionate approach to her young charges stems from her own role as a devoted mother of four, endowing her with insights that go beyond textbooks. Not content with merely treating patients, Professor Gray embraces her responsibility as an educator and author. Her website offers a treasure trove of resources on pediatrics and parenting, while her engaging children's books turn potentially overwhelming experiences into enchanting journeys through the magic of rhymes. Professor Claudia Gray, welcome to the HealthCast. Meredith, thank you very much, and thank you for that that lovely introduction. Professor Gray, I would like to start by asking you, what inspired you to pursue a career in medicine, but more specifically, pediatrics, and specialize in both allergy and pharmacology? Sure. I've actually known I wanted to be a doctor since I was a tiny little child. It really fascinated me to be able to combine my love of the sciences with my love of caring for people. So this was a lovely combination. And I had no doubt in my mind from a young age that I wanted to study medicine. And then I've always loved children, absolutely loved children. From a young age, I was babysitting my cousins and writing them little books and Christmas cards, etc. For me, it was a no-brainer that when I finished medicine, I wanted to go into pediatrics. But I wasn't satisfied with being a general specialist. We do have the concept of subspecialties, which are really coming to the fore these days. And in my journey in the United Kingdom, where I actually specialized in pediatrics, I deviated a little bit and spent some years working for a pharmaceutical company. 
And this was most interesting as their research physician, because I learned about medicine from the other side, from the pharmaceutical perspective. And this then prompted me to subspecialize in pharmacology and research methods and drug development. Whilst I was doing that, one of my consultants noted that allergies were really on the increase and that it was really missing in our education as doctors and as pediatricians. And there was this new allergy master's course at Southampton University in England at the time. So I did that and specialized in allergies. So I formally became a pediatric allergist by subspecialization. And yeah, I've never looked back. Remarkable, Professor. You mentioned training abroad in the United Kingdom. How would you say this has impacted your approach to pediatric care? Marilee, I think I have an advantage through being South African trained and sub-specialized and specialized in the United Kingdom. So I really have a greater perspective of medicine and the practices. The South African way is very much pragmatic and hardworking and hands-on and practical. And I would say what I learned most in the United Kingdom is to be considered and use evidence to base my practice on. So everything has an evidence base. You, you don't just wing it and practice cowboy medicine. So this lovely combination of practical experience and realistic experience together with theoretical and evidence-based medicine I think has stood me in good stead. Also, as mentioned, I hope I, I pronounce this correctly because these two mm. terms are a bit of a tongue twister. You're a fellow of the American Academy of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, as well as a member of the European Academy of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. In your opinion, how do these affiliations enhance your practice and your ability to stay current with global trends? I think it's just that, Marilee. Ha having a narrow perspective really doesn't give you a great overview. So being able to be in touch with international societies and an active member or fellow of those societies allows me to keep up with current trends, allows me to keep up with colleagues and networks, allows access to the information they put out through those societies, and also has allowed me to be on international committees, uh, advisory boards, which I've really gained a lot from. Just knowing that here in South Africa, we are so on it and really um, can compare ourselves extremely well to international bodies and international ways of practice. So it's really good to have that reassurance and also to be involved more in European and worldwide policy making. That is definitely reassuring, especially hearing it from you, Professor. Diving deeper into your allergology expertise or allergy expertise, could you elaborate on the role the Kids Allergy Center in Cape Town plays in providing comprehensive allergy care? Thank you, Marilee. The Kids Allergy Center is a center which I set up now over 10 years ago in Cape Town in South Africa. And it's really a one-stop shop for all things pediatric and allergy. We strive to practice cutting-edge medicine in a very compassionate and practical way. As you mentioned, I myself have four kids, and I've probably learned at least 50% yes. of my pediatrics from them. <laughs> 
So I know what it's like to be a parent. I know what it's like to have that anxiety. I know what's practical and what's unrealistic. So it really allows us to practice medicine in a, in a, as I said, an empathetic and very realistic way. We deal with all aspects of allergies. So asthma, allergic noses or rhinitis, skin issues, eczema, food allergies, hives, insect allergies like bee allergies, drug allergies. And we do diagnostic procedures, testing. We do challenges. We even do concepts that are relatively recent worldwide, like desensitization to food allergens and also to, to bee allergies and environmental allergies. So we really provide what any center in anywhere in the world, we strive to provide what any top center would be able to provide. Starting with our topic today, our skin is the most amazing organ. It's our first line of defense, protecting us against the cold, as well as infection and allergies. Professor Gray, in one of your articles, you mentioned that the skin barrier can be compromised for various reasons. Could you explain the relationship between allergies and skin conditions for our listeners? I think you've started with a very complex topic already, and you've set the scene very nicely for the role of the skin barrier. So if you'll allow me just to elaborate a little bit on that. So as you mentioned, the skin is indeed a remarkable organ, and we, we don't always see it as an organ. But remember, we can't survive without the skin. So if someone, for example, has a 70% burn, it's very rare that they're going to be able to live. The skin prevents water loss. It prevents sun rays from burning us to shrivels. It protects us from infection. As I said, in a burn patient, they usually die from overwhelming sepsis or infection because the bugs can just whoosh, penetrate through the skin. It also protects us from allergens. And this is a concept very close to my heart. If the skin barrier is broken, we let allergens in more easily, such as food allergens. If someone's eating a peanut butter sandwich in a household where a child has bad eczema, those particles may actually infiltrate the skin and set up an allergic process because the skin has not been trained to decide whether it's a good or a bad food. So the skin has many roles. And in addition to the physical things, it's obviously got sensory roles, so pain sensation. It is very important in regulating our immune system. The skin is part of our immune system. Also, the skin is a huge surface area for the microbiome, so for the bugs that live on our skin, live in our gut. So that all has to be in harmony, and the microbiome is incredibly important to maintain the skin barrier, to help our immune systems, and just to keep harmony in the microbiome uh, of the entire body. So the skin barrier has many important functions. It can go wrong, though. I often say, think about your skin barrier. It's, it's the top layer called the stratum corneum and a little bit of the next layer called the stratum granulosum. But it's almost like a brick wall with bricks and cement in between and a foundation layer and an upper sort of cement layer. And the components of our skin barrier consist of the bricks. These are the cells of the stratum corneum. And then the cement in between, which consists of protein and lipids and the top layer has to be good and the bottom layer has to be good with good tight junctions 
So if any of those components of our skin barrier are disrupted, then the skin barrier can become fragile and let infections in, let allergens in, promote water loss, allow our immune systems to falter. So the cells can be faulty, the bricks, the lipids or protein in between the bricks can be faulty. Sometimes it's a physical pause, such as using abrasive substances or having skin infections or setting up an allergic response in the skin that can damage the skin barrier. Sometimes it's genetic. In other words, our genetics are telling us to make slightly weaker proteins and less effective lipids in between those skin cells. So the skin barrier is complex and vital to good health, but it can be disrupted. I don't know if you want to talk more about the barrier or if you want to talk about the concept of, of allergies at this stage, because it, first of all, we have to understand what the skin barrier does. No, absolutely, Professor. Just also touching on that as well, and you are more than welcome to elaborate on the allergies associated with the skin. Also, could you tell us what eczema is and the possible symptoms to look out for, in other words? Yeah, so I think this is a really good starting point to describing what happens when the skin barrier is broken. So eczema is an incredibly common condition. Lots of people around the world suffer from eczema. And it's a condition where you get really itchy, inflammatory skin patches. Eventually those patches can convalesce and the whole body can be involved. But the hallmark of eczema is dry, red, inflammatory patches, which are incredibly itchy. They can sometimes occur on very classical regions, such as the creases of the elbow or behind the knees and the cheeks of the face and around the eyes. But if you've got it in a bad way, it can affect every inch and every area of your body. To recognize eczema, it's that characteristic dry, very itchy patches which become red and often scaly. In the acute stage, eczema can look blistery and have a fluid or exudate. Sometimes this is in the context of a family history of eczema. So when we see eczema patients, we always ask, is there a family history in the parents or the sibling? Because very much genetics can play a role. And then we also ask about a personal history of other allergic conditions. Do you have signs of asthma, allergic rhinitis, food allergies? Because that makes the diagnosis of eczema more likely. So in a nutshell, that's what eczema is. But I think it's a very good place at this stage to say that many triggers of eczema are non-specific. Everybody comes into my room saying, what is the cause of my child's eczema or my eczema? What can I cut out of my diet? And I always have to preempt that by saying, usually nothing, only about 20% of eczemas are exacerbated or caused by food allergies. The rest is often genetically driven and they are non-specific triggers. So I always call it the, the bad S's, <laughs> sweating, saliva, sun and heat, a sickness. So when you're ill and your immune system is under stress, your eczema can flex, stress in adults. And then scratching. Once you start scratching, it sets up a cycle and your eczema actually gets worse. So 
the listeners really need to be aware that most of the exacerbators or triggers of eczema are not actually allergens. Allergens can play a role in about a fifth of patients, but most of them are nonspecific. So when you say, why is my eczema flaring? It could just be that naturally it's a chronic disease, which gets worse and gets better. Could be that you've been unwell. Could be that you're under a lot of stress. Could be that you suddenly started swimming lessons and are exposed to a lot of chlorine. So there are lots of factors that can exacerbate eczema. Just eliminating that, what are some common skin conditions that would then be associated with allergies? Or how would patients be able to identify the skin condition as being allergy related? Most eczemas are called atopic dermatitis. So they are, they do fall in the so-called allergy realm. But that's not necessarily mm. because they are caused by an allergy, but it's because they belong in the allergy spectrum. So if you look at a microscopic and chemical level, it is often those allergy chemicals that are causing the inflammation. But I just want the listener to understand that there are many non-specific triggers of eczema. So when you talk about what skin conditions can be related to allergies, first of all, some types of hives or urticaria, for example, if I'm allergic to peanut butter, for example, and I eat peanut, I could come up with a whole bunch of hives. So there you set up a relationship or see the relationship between ingestion of the food and then coming up in hives. Sometimes even children or adults with severe respiratory allergies. If you're very allergic to dogs or cats and you pat them and then the saliva comes on you, you can get rashes. So those are examples of allergic rashes. In eczema, as I said, about 20% of eczema cases are directly related to allergies. For example, in a young baby who is top to toe with eczema, we always have to think, is cow's milk protein causing this eczema, for example? But then you'd very much see that every time you ingest that certain food, you would flare up your eczema. So those are examples of allergies exacerbating eczema and skin conditions. Professor Gray, you also mentioned that allergies is a result of the immune response. Would you mind taking our listeners through practical um, steps or the practical process that happens within us, our human bodies, as a response to allergens? Okay, so we now have to go to Immunology 101. <laughs> uh, on a very basic level, an allergy is an abherent reaction. So it's an incorrect response of your body to something that should be harmless. We're not designed, for example, to be allergic to dogs or cats or house dust mite if we talk about respiratory allergies. But if your immune system has got it a little bit wrong and you breathe in dust mite or animal dander, your nose can get swollen and your eyes can get itchy and it might even trigger a wheeze. So in other words, your body's getting it wrong. The same thing can happen with food allergies. We are meant to tolerate egg and milk and peanuts and soya and wheat and other common allergens. But in some people, the immune system gets it wrong and they ingest that food. It releases a whole bunch of chemicals and messengers called cytokines and histamine, which set up an allergic response. 
For example, I use the example of peanut. If I was allergic to peanut, which I thankfully am not, if I ingested it, I could get swelling of the eyes or the lips or rashes. I could feel nauseous and vomit or get diarrhea. If I'm unlucky, I could get a runny nose, itchy eyes, and even breathing difficulties when I breathe in or out. So allergies can have symptoms on a very large spectrum. But essentially, it's the immune system that has got it a little bit. Um, one of the interesting concepts that I've already alluded to is youngsters with eczema. We all should be exposed to food initially by our mouths because our guts are quite good at deciding what's a goodie and what's a baddie. It's got a sophisticated immune system. However, some people have the misfortune or some young babies of being exposed initially via their skin. So if you have eczema and broken skin, I gave the example of mom or dad eating a peanut butter sandwich and those particles seep through the open skin, it can set up an allergic response because our skins are designed to fight parasites. And the skin can get it wrong and think, wow, this is a parasite. Let me set up a response to it. So that's an example of how our immune system can get it wrong. Still then on topic, Professor, for individuals that do have these skin allergies or generate this immune response, is there practical strategies that they can implement to manage these responses to these allergens on a day-to-day -day basis? Absolutely. So let's use the example. It's a, it's a broad, allergies are a broad topic, but I think we are concentrating on skin. But as simple as if you are allergic to yeah. how just right, for example, and you get nasal allergies, then we take some steps to reduce our exposure to house dust, right? We eliminate fluffy toys and fluffy blankets and carpets and make sure our mattresses aren't too old, et cetera, et cetera. And then we take medication to reduce our twitchy noses and our twitchy inflammatory response. For, for food allergies, it would be avoiding the foods you're allergic to which in itself nowadays we have a concept of desensitization, for example, but those are very specialists. So in the first instance, you avoid the food that you're allergic to and have emergency treatment for when you ingest it by mistake and an emergency plan with the skin. So the skin, it really has multiple facets to management of, for example, an eczema skin. We mentioned that in some cases, there are allergic triggers, but it's actually quite a small proportion. So those obviously should try and avoid the allergen. In other words, a little baby riddled with eczema rather have the correct testing and we find they are allergic to cow's milk protein. We either, if they're breastfeeding, advise the mom to eliminate all dairy from her diet. And if they're formula fed, we choose a specific formula that is in, almost entirely free of cow's milk protein. So that would be the allergic component of eczema. But let's talk about barn door eczema where someone's got patches on their arms or their legs and they read really it be itchy. You always know with eczema children, you examine them, you lift up their shirts and they start scratching. Let's talk about treating barn door eczema. So first, do not use the baddies. So the baddies would be things like harsh skin products uh, that are the wrong acidity or pH that contain harsh chemicals such as sodium laurel sulfate, for example, 
because those can break your skin barrier further. So generally, harshly perfumed products and harshly colored products are not good for sensitive skin. So first of all, eliminate the baddies. Don't have hot showers for too long. It also aggravates your skin. When you are in the bath or the shower, use gentle products that are compatible with sensitive skin. That's the first thing. Avoid the baddies. The second thing is help to restore your broken skin barrier. So here we are talking about special cream and ointments. We're not talking about pharmacological treatment yet. We're talking about your normal emollient creams that you can buy at your local um, pharmacy. Um, we really want a good, what we call emollient cream or ointment. The drier the eczema, the more it needs an ointment. The wetter the eczema, the more it needs a cream or a lotion. And we need to choose these carefully. They should also be free of baddies. They shouldn't just be aqueous cream because aqueous cream is made of aqua or water. We need more than water. We need the lipids. We need the proteins that we were talking about. So it's good to have a cream that combines the water base with lipids and things that con uh, retain water. There may be glycerol or urea. There's a whole bunch of ingredients that we need to make it a good moisturizer. So it needs to have the fatty component and the water component and to be free from harsh, bad products. And these emollients we need to apply as often as possible because we're almost recreating our damaged skin barrier. Look, it's not always practical to apply three or four times a day, but twice a day is usually the minimum that we need when we have eczema skin. So avoid baddies, recreate the skin barrier with plenty of good emollients. The third component is treating a flare. So when the skin is inflamed and red and angry, no matter how much moisturizer you use, it's not going to calm that down. Then you need a pharmacological treatment, medical treatment. Have it looked at, have it diagnosed properly, and your doctor or clinician will prescribe an anti-inflammatory treatment as well. Please don't take them by mouth. For example, oral steroids, that's really not great for eczema. But these are now topical treatments that are chosen to suit your skin, to suit your age, to suit the area. Is it a sensitive skin area like the face or is it a hard skin area like your thighs? So these have to be carefully tailored. But these are things like steroid creams, calcineurin inhibitors, and some new ones. They're not bad. Given in short bursts, they are excellent. If they're used inappropriately, months and years, they can thin the skin. But we need to treat flares timelessly. If a flare gets out of hand, it's going to cause that itch, scratch cycle, and you're going to end up in a lot of trouble, and then once again, increase your chance of getting further allergies because your skin is open to the environment. Avoid baddies, recreate the skin barrier, treat flares timelessly. And then the fourth component of managing eczema appropriately is once you've treated the flare, have a maintenance plan. <laughs> it's just like when your car goes into the garage, you don't then never check oil and water after that. You need to maintain. So the maintenance of emollients or creams, and in some cases if the eczema flares a lot, it's also anti-inflammatory. It's used maybe once or twice a week in a pattern that doesn't thin the skin. 
but just keeps it under control. So there are those facets to exometry. This was a part of the briefing, but I think it's the pharmacist in me and your pharmacology background that just really is driving me to ask this question as well, because still on the topic of eczema and dry skin then, most of the times we, when we do have a allergic reaction, we tend to take either, like you mentioned, corticosteroids or antihistamines, which do have the tendency to dry out your skin and dry your nose. Is there advice you would give to patients that do take that route and how would they manage that? Is that more of a, like a short-term relief? So it depends on what kind of allergies you're talking about, Marilee. For example, if you have allergic rhinitis or nasal allergies, antihistamines are excellent. They reduce the itching and sneezing mm. and we advise to use them throughout your allergy season. And even to preempt your allergy, for example, if I've got a grass pollen allergy, then I'd be worse in the spring and the summer. So then we would advise you to take it throughout and we'd advise topical steroids, so steroid sprays. But once again, systemic steroids have a lot of side effects and they're overused. So we try to steer away from them for things like nasal allergies and skin allergies. So antihistamines do have a big role in things like allergic rhinitis. In things like asthma, Antihistamines have very little role, except if you've already got an allergic nose on top of it. They don't treat asthma. So there you need a specific pump that goes, sends the medicine all the way down to the chest. If we're talking about eczema, antihistamines do not treat eczema one little bit, sadly. But when we talk about hives, antihistamines are fantastic. So it depends on the condition. The reason why, the only reason why we'd use an antihistamine in an eczema patient is to try and prevent them from scratching and setting up that itch scratch cycle, but it does not treat or manage the eczema per se. The concept of quickly taking a cortisone shot or cortisone tablets, as you say, yeah, it can produce short-term relief, but with a lot of systemic side effects. But the problem is, as soon as it wears off, you get rebounds. And then the patients end up with people like me. You have to now deal with all that. So we try to avoid them. There are places for systemic steroids, such as if you're having an asthma attack, where it could be life-threatening. Of course, the steroid is an anti-inflammatory. But generally for coughs and colds, eczema, allergic rhinitis, we should not be using systemic steroids. Thank you for that, Professor. That was just out of interest sake. Could you also tell our listeners how to distinguish between something that is a skin irritant and an allergic reaction? Sometimes you think maybe, oh, something bit me or you don't know. What is the possible signs to look out for? Yeah, Marilee, this is actually quite a difficult question, but it is an important one. So I'm going to give you an example. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned something biting you. So... You know, obviously, if you get something like a bee sting and you're allergic to it, then the difference is that your whole body can be in it. In other words, you get a local sting, but you could get hives somewhere else on your body, or tummy ache, or indeed breathing difficulty. So that would be an allergic reaction because your entire immune system is, is activated. Um, some people respond to the saliva of insect bites, such as flea bites or mosquito bites. And that doesn't have the same repercussions as a bee allergy, for example, but can cause terribly itchy skin. And that's a 
an avid response to the saliva of certain little insects. So that's not a toxin like the bee venom. Um, but then, for example, I'll give you an example of a little baby who is starting solids and has got a little bit of eczema. And then the mother comes and says, when I gave my child tomato in a pasta um, or strawberries, they had redness around the mouth. Are they allergic to it? So then you take a thorough history. Have they eaten the ingredients of pasta before? Is it maybe the tomato sauce in it, etc.? You can do allergy tests. For example, you could test for the strawberry. You could test for tomato. You can test for wheat. You can test for egg and all the ingredients of what they've eaten. If it's an allergy, your tests will show up. And an allergy, as I said, doesn't usually just cause local problems. It can cause problems further afield because your whole immune system is activated. So then you might get hives all over your face or you might get a runny nose or itchy eyes or a little bit of swelling of your throat. So that would be an allergy. But irritants are a substance that you're not actually allergic to, but it's irritating your skin. And it could irritate the skin of anybody. You don't have to be allergic to it. And it's more common if you've already got a broken skin barrier. For example, if you've got a bit of rough skin around your mouth and you eat tomato and it slobbers around your face because you're a little toddler starting solid, just that contact with something acidic can irritate the skin. So the difference is it's not an allergy. It's not going to be dangerous. So you don't have to stop eating it. But it might be a good idea, for example, to put a bit of emollient around the kid's mouth before they eat their slobbery spaghetti in the future. So allergies, you have to avoid. They can be dangerous. Irritants, you can work around it. That's a wonderful explanation, Professor. And I'm so glad you mentioned the connection as well between allergies and uh, food allergies and skin conditions. Throughout our discussion today, you really touched on the role genetics play in presenting with allergies. Just to clarify to our listeners, what are the chances of me having an allergy if my mum or dad has it? Yeah, the, you can imagine in the modern world, statistics are always changing. So I'm going to give you a ballpark figure. So if you are born into a family that is not allergic at all, mom's not allergic, dad's not allergic, siblings aren't, you've got about a 10 to 15% chance of having some form of allergic condition. So there's already a baseline chance. If one of your parents has an allergic condition, that increases it to 40 to 50% already. And if both parents have allergic conditions, it increases the offspring's chance to about 80%. So it exponentially increases as the family history increases. So there is a, a strong genetic link there, and that always forms part of our broader assessment and questioning in then lastly, Professor, as we wrap up, could you leave our listeners with a sim simple yet powerful piece of advice to incorporate into their daily routines to ensure their skin barrier remains strong and resilient? Can I be so cheeky as to end up with a slogan and that it all begins with the skin? So a lot of trouble begins with the skin. We've talked about little babies, how allergies can develop if their skin barrier is broken. So look after that skin. Avoid irritants. Put on emollients. 
treat eczema very early, have a maintenance strategy, because it can all begin with the skin. Wonderful, Professor. Referencing her article available on her website, It All Begins With The Skin. That wraps up today's episode on how to safeguard your first line of defense. This podcast is powered by GlobeMed UK, giving you access to the best doctors, treatments, and medical specialists worldwide.